I'm Damian Bulwa, Metro Editor at the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, two of my favorite writers are sitting right across from me, sports columnist Ann Killian and Scott Osler. It was an incredible decade for sports in the Bay Area, and Ann and Scott are going to take us back to some of the biggest moments. Guys, thanks for coming in. Oh, yeah. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. So before we get to some of these moments from Clay Thompson to Madison Bumgarner, what an unbelievable decade in sports. It might not be ending uh, exactly how we want it to in all sports, but what an unbelievable decade. I, I would say it might be one of the, the great decades in Bay Area sports history. Um, the Giants won three World Series. The uh, Warriors won two championships and went to five straight. Wait, three championships and yeah. went to five straight? <laughs> See, so many championships. Uh, the 49ers moved to Santa Clara. The Raiders are moving. And there's a lot of uh, big things that have happened in, in the Bay Area sports world. Big personalities like Steph Curry and Bumgarner. I mean, it's very, very noteworthy. Yeah, and, and Colin Kaepernick knelt, which became... Was that a story? I don't know. Was that a story? <laughs> it's I weird. Can, that I that story, it just... It, just is nonstop. Every day I get email from somebody who's still mad about uh, Kaepernick kneeling. <laughs> All right. So let's go right to it. January 12th, 2013. And well, you guys were at almost all of these things. Um, yes. But Colin Kaepernick has burst on the scene. It's his first year starting for the 49ers. And he's playing against the Packers at Candlestick Park. Yeah. Why was this such a huge moment? Well, because... Um... We had seen Kaepernick playing because he had gotten the starting job in a very controversial manner. Alex Smith got a concussion. Alex Smith had led the team to the NFC Championship game the year before. Um, he got a concussion. Kaepernick came in. And then even when he was cl Alex was cleared to play, Colin was still the quarterback and had won the job with his amazing athletic talent that um, we hadn't really seen. But... So we, like Scott and I, the Bay Area media, we were witnessing this, but he hadn't really been in on the national scene. And this was his first playoff start. It was against Aaron Rodgers, who I believe was the reigning um, MVP of the league at the time. Uh, you know, big, great playoff ma matchup with history and everything behind it. And Colin Kaepernick ran for 183 yards. He and two touchdowns. He passed for two touchdowns. He was unstoppable. And all of a sudden, the rest of the world went, oh, my God, who is this guy, Colin Kaepernick? He's revolutionizing the quarterback position. And it was just like this lightning bolt that struck the NFL. I remember the Bay Area was sort of split between Team Kaepernick and Team Alex. Oh, yeah. People yeah. still hanging yeah. with Alex, <clears throat> Alex Smith. Yeah, they still are, in fact. They bring the, the topic up. The topic comes up with it. Oh, Alex got screwed, man. They shouldn't get the job. Alex to did get screwed. No, he didn't. He did. He had a he concussion. He, he got a little bit screwed. He, he had a oh, concussion. Everybody but Kaepernick, gets if they don't start. Kaepernick but took no advantage. And, and Harbaugh saw the genius, which we saw in, the, in this game that we're talking about. And Harbaugh made a bold decision to make that that switch. And it almost paid off. They came within a Harbaugh decision of winning a Super Bowl with this guy. So, But anyway, it, uh, that, that day was special because, as Ann said, it was just amazing. But it was there's a lot of spin now saying hey, Kaepernick wasn't that good and everything. Well, you can just point back to this game and say, well, you know, he, he had some special sauce. He and had some he, stuff. He had already done some amazing things yeah. in those in the I think he went five and two as a starter in the second half um, after getting the job. 
and one of them was winning in New England in the snow, yep. um, beating Tom Brady. He won his first start uh, Monday night against Pittsburgh. No, I mean, he uh, Chicago on the Monday night or Chicago. Yeah, right. um, he had done some some kind of eye popping things, but again, it was more that we were just witnessing it in the Bay Area. And you know, when when he did this on the national stage at that in that kind of um, a game, all of a sudden people are calling him. You know, that was when. Ron Jaworski ends up right. saying he may be the greatest, one of the greatest quarterbacks <laughs> of all time. You know, he's going to, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He's going to revolutionize the the position. And then um, the weird thing is, you know, we, we had no idea at that point that he was going to be this lightning rod, this lightning bolt that was going to change the NFL and revolutionize things in a, in a totally different way than we could have predicted. Was he uh, already kissing his bicep before the Packers game or was that? Yes. The- he, he kissed his bicep. Kaepernicking, yeah. Yeah, Kaepernicking. But that was the first time, again, that I think the national um, audience saw it, saw the tattoos, saw the whole kind of package that was a very different look for a quarterback at that time. Yeah. Not so different now, maybe, but but back then, it, you know, it was. All right. Scott, October 29th, 2014, the Giants are in Game 7 against the Royals. Madison Bumgarner just, I think, Three nights before, had pitched a complete game, I think shutout against the Royals, four-hitter in game five. They're up 3-2, correct me if I'm wrong, and everybody is waiting for Bumgarner to come in as a relief pitcher in this game. The, oh, yeah. the series was tied 3-3. This was game seven. But they, I think they're up 3-2 in that game. Oh, 3-2. Right. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, the anticipation <clears throat> was enormous uh, because that had already been announced that uh, is going to be available if, if they need him and, and could come out of the bullpen on short rest and tired arm and all that stuff. And really just get, if you go by metrics or anything, he had guys got no arm left. There's, there's nothing left in his arm. There can't be, he gave it, he gave it the office. And so I remember the night before, uh, the day before, I think they had a workout or something. And I went up to him and I, I just said, how, how's your arm feel? And this is typical madison quote he says like an arm <laughs> and that was it you know i was like what do you get out of here with the stupid questions and uh but him <clears throat> coming out of the bullpen out of what center field or wherever it was that's to me an iconic moment of bay area sports of just you know if there to me if there's a statue of him which there will be someday it'll be of him you know open that gate or however that I was in a bar uh near the stadium because this game was on the road and the moment he came in there was this sense that the game was over, mm-hmm. even though they had, I think, a one-run lead, and he yeah. just pitched. Did was there that same feeling? Yes. I mean, he was so masterful that that postseason. Um, basically, he won a World Series single-handedly. I mean, no offense <laughs> to the other guys on the <laughs> roster, but yeah. but he won that wild card game in Pittsburgh. They went and they, um, I forgot how he did against the Nationals, uh, but he won in St. Louis. I mean, it was just. It was just this amazing run, and I think everyone felt it was over. It was almost, it was like a movie. When that bullpen door opened, you kind of expected the good and the bad and the ugly, you know, soundtrack, wah, <laughs> wah, wah, to, to play, and, you know, he's come striding out, and and uh, it, it was really something. We're, we're talking about this the day after the news broke that he's signing with the Diamondbacks, and it's just, it's kind of... Um, it's almost seems like a moment out of like baseball's 
historic past. Mm-hmm. It seems so long ago from where this team is now. And Madison is such a throwback. And now we're in the age of analytics. And, you know, like like you said, he gave at the office, you know, under Farhan's uh, plan. <laughs> there's no chance Madison Bumgarner ever gets in that game. Are Boy, you kidding? He would have been pulled in the sixth inning of the previous game. Of the previous <laughs> game. No complete game. Nothing. Right. So the it just seems, you know, it's like sepia-toned. You know, it's like it's like history. Instant yeah. legend. And you're right. It's like a movie. And I'm thinking the movie. And by the way, we're not going to have Clint Eastwood direct this movie. Mm-mm. But in the movie, <laughs> then when he comes in, you'll cut to a shot of the stands and some man with his little kid will just throw his popcorn down, slam it down, and says, we're out of here and just take off <laughs> and throw down his Kansas City hat. It's over. <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> All right, moving along. January 23rd, 2015. This is one of those moments a lot of people can remember where they were. Clay Thompson, 37 points in the third quarter against the Kings, of course, the Kings. Uh, 13 for 13 from the field, 9 for 9 from three. <laughs> it's magic. The, the cool thing about I that, was in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> what, that, you're going to start every story that way? <laughs> um, to, to me, the cool thing about that story, that moment, is that it was an individual, you might want to say selfish or whatever, but it's certainly an individual achievement. But what it, to me and what it showed is the, the teamwork and the joy of that team because um, winning the game wasn't, they knew they were going to win, um, but getting the ball to Clay and getting him open became their mission. And they not only got him the ball time after time, but the joy in the sideline was just freaky. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah. and the real- realization that the Splash Brothers were doing something that we may never see again. Well, and it was just, I think it was the moment that Clay kind of burst on the scene. Because he had, you know, yeah. let's be honest, Steph had been around longer. He'd kind of been overshadowed. Steph is a much more outgoing, gregarious personality. So we all knew Steph. But I think that was the moment where Clay just, you know, you think of all the moments that came after, like when he looks at his hand and says, I missed you. And, you know, he's just, it was so clay, the whole, you know, his kind of deadpan look through the kind whole. Kind of shuffling the, off the court after the, the timeouts and kind of <laughs> yeah. do 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 Yeah, I, I think that is the moment where clay became uh, up there in the, uh, on on the pantheon of, of great Bay Area sports legends. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure if it was that game. It might have been another game when clay was going off, but just a moment that would have fit there is Clay hits some kind of outrageous, stupid shot, and and Curry's on the bench at the time and goes nuts. And <laughs> throws a towel and goes sprinting down the, the, the walkway back into the locker room and shows no, up no, like 10 seconds later. Just, night, yeah. Like, I can't stand it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, a few more of the Bay Area's biggest sports moments of the decade. I'm here with Scott Osler and Ann Killian. Welcome back. This is Fifth Admission. I'm Damian Bolwa with Ann Killian and Scott Osler, sports columnists. All right, next from our biggest sports moments of the decade in the Bay Area, June 10th, 2016, Game 4 of the NBA Finals. The Warriors are up 3-1, to one, and there's a skirmish. LeBron James steps slightly over Draymond Green, and then I won't say it because I, I'm not sure what word to use, but Ann? Well, you know, I'm going to let Scott take it because I actually was not covering this game because if you'll recall, we had a Bay Area team in the Stanley Cup finals and I was in Pittsburgh when this happened. Yeah. And I've, I've got a disclaimer here that I'm not a street ball player. I used to play basketball and, you know, pick up games and stuff like that. But since my time in, on the courts, apparently there's a, a code of the street that like if a guy is down on the, on the court, a basketball player is down on the court, you don't step over him because 
it's like a, a manhood. This is talking about men's game. Uh, women might have a different thing. With the men, you don't step over the guy because it's like you're sort of doing something to him, which is, I don't even want to describe here. You're, you're getting too close to him in a non, non-manly way. So it's, it's, a, it's very, very much a sign of disrespect. And so when LeBron did that, he knew what he was doing. And he also probably, because he's smart enough, he probably knew I can, get, I can get Draymond really riled up on this. And Draymond reached up and kind of took a swipe at, uh, at LeBron's midsection, you might say. His nether region. <laughs> yeah. And already so much, there's so much into this because before that, uh, Draymond had been, uh, what, suspended or fined or whatever for twice kicking a, a opposing player in the, in the same, roughly the same <laughs> region. Stephen Adams, right? Yeah, Stephen Adams of, of the Thunder. And so already he's got this reputation, like watch, watch your stuff when you're around Draymond. So Draymond takes a swipe and they, the league was kind of compelled then to, uh, to suspend, so suspend him for a game. Yeah. Third flagrant, flagrant, fla- third flagrant <laughs> foul yeah. of the, uh, of the, of the playoffs. Yeah. So he has to miss the next game. Right. Right. Which, right. uh, which changed the whole thing. Yeah. And you, you would think that, okay, well, at least since those, that time, Draymond has learned his lesson, but he's still doing the same kind of hot-headed things. But so it was the kind of thing where he had to decide: Am I going to protect my street cred, my manhood, or am I going to do what's right for the team? And in this case, he decided to go with Plan A, which cost well, that's Draymond. cost the team the championship. And, and uh... yeah, yeah, but but if they okay, so they go on, they lose yeah, right in seven games yep. to LeBron's Cavs. Yeah. Right, they lose that game that Draymond is suspended, which is Game Six. Yeah. And then, and then in the offseason, they go and sign Durant. So, which they would not have done had they won. So you don't it would think have changed it, basketball history because yeah. everything Durant has indicated and what everybody else has widely speculated, that Durant wasn't going to go to a team that had just won back-to-back championships. It would be no, no challenge, and he wouldn't be seen as somebody who could help the situation. So almost, almost like 99%, he would not have gone to the Warriors had they won. So Draymond was thinking ahead, playing a little chess. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Let's give Draymond credit for all of that. Yeah, and then that the the game seven against um, against the Cavs, uh, Draymond actually when he came back from that suspension a had a fantastic game, which kind of gets lost in the shuffle because they lost um, and lo- lost at home. But but um, and and Draymond blamed himself. You know, I mean, he always has taken full responsibility for losing that championship. He talks about it. All right, one more. February 3rd, 2017, Tara Vanderveer wins her 1,000th game as a basketball coach at Maples Pavilion, a win over USC. Why was this so significant? Well, a couple of things. First of all, disclaimer, Damien, uh, Ann and I you are know, not supposed to root for local teams and all this stuff, but we, we're pretty fond of Tara Vanderveer. We think she, she's, she's the a, best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, She's the only coach, I think, in both of our experiences, who ever gave us a piano recital <laughs> for, for a group of four writers on the road. So, um, really? so we're a little bit, I guess, unfairly prejudiced in that towards her. But uh, she has obviously has credentials. F- f- fantastic coach. Uh, she's as a pioneering coach. She continues to, at her advanced age, she's almost as old as me, to have a team uh, and number, ranked number one. So, but that moment, uh, what stood out to me, because uh, I covered that night, is that uh, anytime a coach wins a thousand games or hits a milestone of any kind, obviously the organization, the school, whatever it is, has a celebration. Woo! Bring out the band, you know, get out a banner and all that stuff. But what struck me was the uh, the amount of love that was thrown at her that night by 
her players, her former players, her mom. Uh, it was crazy. It was just uh, really, it was emotional. And, yeah. and what does it mean for a place to have such a legendary coach for this many years? I mean, we've seen some of the iconic coaches out there, but Tara Vanderveer is now up there in a pantheon that includes only a few names. Yeah, and she, I mean, she's a legend, the stability. I mean, by far the most successful coach, uh, in college coach in the Bay Area, I would say in Bay Area history. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes we take her for granted because, you know, she is there. She just keeps putting, you know, she hasn't won a title since the early 90s, but she's been to so many Final Fours, and the women's game has changed so much. And so for her to be able to continue to recruit the way she can and to and to keep a school like Stanford up there with, you know, the Yukons and the Tennessees and South Carolinas. I mean, it's it's really um, it's it's pretty phenomenal. And it's just, you know, she's got, got her own coaching tree that that has spun off. Um, and she's just you know, she she goes out of her way to help other women um, in the business, to help other, her players get good jobs. Um, she's just she's everything you could want from a from a coach. You know, I'll make a comparison. Uh, I go back to the Johnny Wooden days at UCLA, and, and kind of the, the comparison would be that uh, if you talk to any of Wooden's former ballplayers, from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to Jamal Wilkes to Bill Walton, they love him. They all love him. And he was very tough on them, and he was very demanding. And uh, he and Kareem clashed over smoking dope and other things like that. And, and yet they all just loved him to death and still do. And Tara, I, I get the same thing from her former players, right? And that, that yeah. uh, and she was that, really tough on she's them. She's very tough on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not uh, a warm and fuzzy person um, in terms of the way she coaches, but you know, after players leave her fold, they all come back and they all really appreciate what what she gave to them. Yeah, but that night I, I was just talking to her about that a couple of days ago, and she said that uh, one of the things that struck her is that she was uh, she was kind of hoping to get it over with. Okay. That's, you know, it's just another, and then she started thinking about, it. she says, wow, a thousand wins. That's a lot. These wins are really hard to get. So, <laughs> so I said, you read that. You finally realized how hard your job really is. And she says, yeah. So. so closing thoughts. Now we get to the end of the decade. Almost every team is in a different building than it was at the start. Mm -hmm. We've seen kind of ups and downs. The Niners are, are back up. Um, you know, what, what do you think is to come for Bay area sports? Um, well, I think the 49ers have a little window open here that I think um, is going to be interesting to see because they're a pretty young team. They're they're kind of ahead of schedule in terms of th their success this season. So I think um, I think the early part of this next decade um, could be the 49ers back on top, which it's been a long time since, you know, they've really dominated the landscape. I think we're in for a long haul with the Giants and um, still waiting for that A's ballpark to be built. <laughs> Uh, speaking of that, we yeah, started the decade yeah. with that. Story. I think what we're looking ahead to is, if you're a Bay Area sports fan, it's it's really the arrow goes goes up because all the team owners, uh, all the team managements are super competitive and want to win and are willing to do basically within reason what it what it takes. Uh, nobody's the baseball teams aren't spending three hundred million like the some of the teams, but they're they're dedicated to winning, which isn't across the board in sports except for the A's. The A's are the one exception where the ownership, in my opinion, doesn't care about winning. And so their fate is just still blowing in the wind and they could be blown out of town or or play at the Coliseum for the next five years and then be disbanded. Who knows? But uh, for the most part, 
Bay Area sport, uh, you know, new revolution in baseball, the metrics and all that stuff. That's going to make changes. Um, both football teams are what? Well, we don't have the Raiders to kick team, around right? anymore. Which is that? I don't know. That's good or bad. It's kind of it was kind of fun. They're a fun team to cover because they made so many missteps and and crazy adventures. It, it feels in that way. It feels a little bit like the beginning of the eighties. Um, if and I'm old enough to remember the beginning of the eighties here, but you know that that was when the Raiders left and the 49ers were ascending. So in terms of the NFL, um, that. There's a there's a, definitely a similarity there. And back then, even though they won't admit it now, Raiders fans flocked to the 49ers. A whole bunch of them converted to be 49ers fans. So we'll see if that happens now or if they hold on to their Las Vegas allegiance. They probably shouldn't wear their costumes if they're going to switch over and go down to the 49ers, right? Uh, well, they could just Change make them, them be red colors, you know, <laughs> <Right. laughs> the violator yeah, you in red. <laughs> the prospector <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for coming in. Appreciate it. Happy holidays. Thanks for having us. Thanks to my guests today, sports columnists Ann Killian and Scott Osler, to King Kaufman and Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.